You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Good morning. Yeah, I'm just going to say one thing about the Super Bowl, and that's it. Somebody asked me this week, who are you rooting for? And I said, well, I really don't care who wins as long as the Patriots lose. Uh, yeah, right, 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 right. <coughs> um, we could say go Atlanta, but I would really rather say go Jesus. Come on, can you do better than that if I say go Jesus? <laughs> Come on. That's right. Oh, yeah, Team Jesus. And you know you're a part of that team, right? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Boy, it's good to be back. I was up in Georgia this week speaking to a, a bunch of college-age kids that are really given a year of their life to discipleship, to ministry, to learning and growing, to being involved in all different types of ministry. And some of them probably will find that they're called into it in some form or fashion. And uh, it's, always a, it's always an honor to be a part of that. It's with Summit Training Center. Um, who you guys might know a little bit about vicariously, Andy and Danielle are ordained through FDM, through that ministry, and we do all of our summer camp with the youth and our winter retreat, which is happening next week with our kids, and we're, so we're really getting more and more connected with them, and I really, really enjoy that. But There was a theme that came out this week that I was up there, uh, when I was up there, and it wasn't something I intended on speaking on. They asked me to come up and speak on the person and the work of Holy Spirit, which I love doing because I don't like to just talk about Holy Spirit. I like to release him <laughs> in the room. And there was miraculous healings that were happening in the room, right there on the spot. And the students were blown away. And what was beautiful about it was, you know, we're talking about it, but I'm saying to them, I'm not going to do anything. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. So I would stand there and just say, go after it. And next thing you know, there was a young man who was there who was suffering from migraines, had been suffering for some time, came in, and he didn't want to miss class, so he would lay in the back of the class with uh, like a towel or something over his head to keep the light out. Anybody who's had migraines, you understand. And after a couple of minutes of praying for him, he noticed that it started just moving around. It would be painful here and then painful here, painful here, and we just kept saying no to it and telling it to leave his body. And next thing you know, he's up, back at the table, fully engaged again, and just right there on the spot, migraine goes away. So, come on, can we thank God for that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's no such thing as a small healing, a small miracle. It, there really is no such thing. If we think like that, we're never going to be prepared to see something we might classify as major healed, like cancer or something. We won't, because if we can't celebrate those little things, then... How can we be entrusted with the big things? So it's so critically important that we go after that. So anyway, the theme that we were going after was Holy Spirit, but yet God kept showing up and talking to us about how we still, as a body, buy into eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he laid in front of us the tree of life, but we still, in our Christianity, we, want, we think it's some kind of morality contest. We think it's some kind of thing that if we just can discern what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, what's good and bad, that somehow we can find ourselves growing into maturity, and it really doesn't work that way. The word says that even in Deuteronomy, 
And in Judges, it says at the end, Joshua, or Josh, in Joshua, it says at the end that Joshua brings him to the promised land and he says to him, see, I lay before you, not right and wrong, I lay before you life and death. Everything about the kingdom of God has to do with life and death, not right and wrong. And I just, in that time that I was there, I started thinking about it more and more, and I know we've talked about it, but man, when are we really going to get over our thing about right and wrong and start really embracing it's about life and death? So much of what we want to know about life, about what is right and wrong, will be answered when we start eating from the tree of life. We want, we want, still in our Christianity, we want somebody to stand on a platform, to stand in a place of ministry and say to us, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. We want somebody to communicate that to us. And I'm discovering it's connected to what we've been talking about here the last few weeks. And I'm going to talk about it some more. We're talking about soul health. We're talking about John... Third John, where it says, I would that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. We've spent a lot of time in the church dealing with what we call the flesh, the body, and dealing with the spirit, and not really having a whole lot to do with what goes on in the soul, but it's out of the soul all these things are produced. So we end up with what we call behavior modification in the church. Romans 8, chapter 13, says that if you live by the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh you will live we spend a lot of time trying to put to death the deeds of the flesh by our own flesh but it says if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh you will live in other words it's learning what holy spirit is saying learning what he's communicating bringing us back into truth that's what holy spirit does right guide you into all truth when we come back into truth we start recognizing we're living in this relationship with jesus and there's life inside of that jesus said i am the way the truth and what the life. So it's not about right and wrong. It's about coming back to life, recognizing life and death, recognizing that you have the creator of the universe living inside of you. And it doesn't really take much to, to just stop and be still and go, I need to hear you, Jesus. I need to hear you speak to me. I don't need my soul speaking to me. I need you to speak to me because I need my soul healed. Is, is this making sense? All right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning. I guess everybody who's here today didn't get that email about church being canceled today. I don't know where everybody is. It's all good. I guess getting ready for Super Bowl, who knows what it is. But I want to talk about powerful people today. Can we do that? Can we talk about what it means to be a powerful person? Again, this is all connected to what we've been talking about, of being emotionally healthy. And, I'm, and I will say, I've said over and over, I'll say again, guys, I don't get this. I'm, it's not like I have this thing cornered. I know what I'm talking about. I'm keeping it in front of you. I'm keeping it in front of me because I'm still learning in this process. I don't want to be called, seen as a Christian and not accurately represent Jesus in the world. And if we know anything about Jesus, he was so powerful, but not just in what he did, he was powerful in and of himself. There towards the end, Jesus starts speaking to his disciples and he said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Now that may be a little hard to, grasp what is he really talking about the ruler of this world is coming but he has nothing in me i believe what jesus was talking about was he was saying i am so satisfied with my father and he is so satisfied with me that i don't need to clamor and try to find any kind of reckon recognition in this world and so he could say the ruler of this world is coming but he has nothing in me in other words there's nothing inside of him for to grab hold of my soul is clean there's nothing in there for him to reach in and grab and start tugging and pulling on identity. 
when we don't know who we are, we give room for Satan to come in and start tugging on us. You with me? When we don't know who we are, we try to clamor to be something else, try to be something that we're not. And so we give room for Satan to come in and pull on us and tug on us, and we end up being led and, and, and going in directions that we don't need to go in simply because we don't know who we are. Jesus was so powerful. He was so satisfied in the Father. And I don't know how this thing works, but the Trinity blows my mind when you think about it. They are so absolutely satisfied with each other that none of them are fighting for position. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they get along so well together. I don't know if you ever think, I think things like this. This is my weird brain, but I think things like this. Like, man, none of them, neither one is trying to show the other one up. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. I'm just wondering what it would look like if we as a group of believers started to believe the same way, where we could say the ruler of this world is here, because the whole world's under the sway of the evil one, right? First John. The whole world's under the sway of the evil one, but he's got nothing in me. He's got nothing to get a hold of. I'm so confident in who I am and who Jesus is inside of me that I'm not playing games anymore. Well, Andrew, what do you mean by playing games? I'm talking about coming into places like this where we figure out which mask we need to put on so we fit in. Oh, is this how you worship? Is this how you pray? Is this how you receive communion? You hear what I'm saying, right? Where it's all about, I need to fit in. I need to fit in. I, <laughs> I was at a, an event this last Friday night. It was a wonderful event. But it was a formal event. And I am, like, not a formal person at all. Um, I enjoy those things, but I can get a little uncomfortable. Anybody with me on that? You go to formal events, and you're like, dude, I just, uh, I am not, I am not, I am beer budget, not champagne guy. I am very down-to-earth kind of, you know. I, and so here we are, everybody dressed up, sitting at the table. We have this nice service happening. The food's coming, and we sit down at the table, and our salads are brought to us. And I'm sitting there at the table and just kind of paying attention to the dynamic that's happening. Nobody will touch their food. You know why nobody will touch their food? Because nobody else is touching their food. It was so funny to watch. I'm just sitting there waiting, you know, not being obvious, but I'm sitting there waiting and just going, who's going to be the first? It takes that long to figure out which fork to use. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that, that is exactly true. I heard someone tell me one time, just start at the outside, work your way in. I don't know. But I still, I still had silverware left at the top of my plate. And I'm like, what is going on here? Am I missing something? All this silverware. So I'm sitting here, and I'm just watching the dynamic. And it's like, once one person started to eat, then everybody felt like it was okay. Isn't that kind of like a picture of the culture we live in? It's like, if one person does it, then it must be okay to do it. I'm submitting to you this morning that that's how a lot of us live. It's not a powerful way to live. It's a powerless way to live. I know that breaks down. You get the, you get the analogy here, but it breaks down at some point. But we, we are not designed to be people who go into a room and who are thermometers, where we can just tell the temperature of the room. We're designed to be people who are thermostats, where we go into the room and we change the temperature. You set it. You determine what is supposed to happen in the room. This is what powerful people are. How many want to be a powerful person? Yeah, me too. I want to be a powerful person. I, I can feel it. I can feel it in certain places that I go into. If I go into a certain place and feel the temperature, well, I'll, I can give you an example. When I was gone this week, I walked into a new room. People who don't know me, they know that I'm there to teach, so they know something about me, but they don't know a whole lot. I go in to teach, and I can feel the temperature of the room. But at the same time, I can tell I am responsible for changing this temperature in here. 
And it's not an arrogant bravado thing like, look at me. It's just a place of like, I know why I'm here. I know who I am. I'm not enforcing myself. I'm not coming in to bring anything other than Jesus. And my desire is for full, full contact sports with Jesus. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking for people to engage with him so fully that it changes their lives, transforms their lives. So I'm feeling it. And it was so encouraging to me that when I left, after four days of teaching there, I had the senior pastor of the church walk me out to the car and he said, Andrew, it is always good when you come here. Every time you come here, we get more happy. I'm like, yes. Yes, that is awesome. Because in the presence of the Lord is fullness of what? So that means at some level, I must be pr- bringing the presence of God. So in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. So I'm like, thank you for telling me that. That is so encouraging. I do not want to be a thermometer. I want to be a thermostat. I want to be a powerful person. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at a number of different passages. I read something recently that was kind of disturbing. Did you know that, by and large, between 85 and 95% of people who call themselves Bible-believing Christians that go to church regularly don't ever open their Bible during the course of a week? Just saying. Oh, and by the way, it's not my job to feed you. As a pastor, it blows me away when people say that. I wasn't getting fed at that church. Mm. Powerless. That's powerless thinking. I wasn't getting fed at that church. What does Psalm 23 say? Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it go, goes on to say? He leads me by what? Still waters? into green pastures. It doesn't say anything about the shepherd making somebody eat. He just takes you somewhere where you can get good food. It's up to you to eat. I'm laying things in front of you. You got to eat. I I can't eat for you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think we should read that together. Put that back up on the screen. We're going to look at it again. I want everybody to read this with me. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, good word, right? For liberty. You know, I love the word liberty. It's a little different than the word freedom. Freedom is kind of like saying, you know, you've been set free, which means you were in shackles and chains, but now you're not in those chains anymore. And you're just free. That's great. That's wonderful. I like the word liberty a little bit better because what it does is it not only sets you free from the shackles and the chains, it hands you your destiny. That's liberty right there. It's the ability to take the identity that God has given us of him inside of us working in and through us and be able to live out that destiny. Isn't that better than just getting set free? I don't want to be set free to do my own thing. And that's what he's saying here. Don't use your liberty as occasion for the flesh. Your freedom is not for you to do as you will. Your freedom is for you to walk in the fullness of what God has ordained for you to walk in. Ephesians 2.20, sorry, 2.10. We are his workmanship, right? We are his poema. We are his poem. He's written us. All we have to do is live it out. So this thing we have here, and I'm I'm adapting a lot of this from uh, Danny Silk's book um, called Keep Your Love On. If you haven't read this, I highly recommend you take a look at it. Um, 
I've been spending a lot of time looking at looking into it. This is what it looks like here. If you haven't been through this or read this book, highly, highly recommend you take a look at it. It deals with relational issues and how to connect with each other. Um, but what I'm really enjoying is it really is teaching people how to identify who they are in Christ and walk in that without living in fear. It's a very, very powerful book if you haven't read it. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a powerful person because everybody, almost everybody in here raised their hand and said they want to be a powerful person. I was talking to you about the life and death and the right and wrong. Uh, we all like the ability to have choices, don't we? Right? We all like the ability to have choices, but really at the end of the day, we want somebody else to take responsibility for the choices that we make. So the right choices are choosing to love because we see that we are loved. The right choice is choosing to love because we simply choose to love. Isn't that what it says right here? We just read it. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many know that if you don't know how to love yourself, you can only love your neighbor to the degree that you love yourself, right? So at some level, and it's okay, I think we need to be okay with this, but at the same time, I think we need to recognize it and be honest. I don't know how to love my neighbor very well because of deficits inside of me. I want to love my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor really well, but the reality is I can't give off what I don't have. If I don't have the ability to connect with God, to know what love really looks like, to feel love, to feel an absolute omission of fear, then I won't be able to love my neighbor. We've talked about it for a couple of weeks. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, right? I don't know about you guys. I still got a lot of fear inside of me. Anybody else want to be honest? I still got a lot of fear inside of me. I still have fear of doing it right or doing it wrong. I don't want to mess up. I still have fear of being accepted. There's still a soul deficit inside of me of, am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be loved? When I was gone this week, I did notice something beginning to change in me, and I was very excited about it because I've gone in for years now. I've gone and done speaking at different schools. I started to feel something a little different this week when I was speaking. I wasn't even looking for it. It was just Holy Spirit giving me something. I felt like he was giving me a gift. And he showed me, he goes, Andrew, do you recognize how much less fear is inside of you? Because you're not, you don't care what people are thinking about what you're saying. You're not concerned about looking good. Now, I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just saying I was feeling, I was feeling it going, yeah, you're right, Holy Spirit, you're right. I'm not I'm not looking for somebody to give me feedback in order to make me feel better and pump my tires on the inside. I make me look like, okay. Well, I like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Because I can recognize some of that fear is starting to dissipate. I hope you guys are with me. I'm not, yeah, we're being really honest here because there's still a lot of fear in all of us. And I can't love my neighbor very well if I still have any kind of fear inside of me. We want to take what God has given us and not be people who choose powerfully. We want to just make it somebody else's responsibility. We want someone else to make decisions and we just obey the decision. The challenge is there's no options in cases like this. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, which was God's intention on how he wanted to relate with man, he put the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We still want to go back to eating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when we have the option to eat out of the tree of life. Just that of the tree of life. 
He is life. I don't know. It may be, church, I don't know this fully. It may be just as simple as coming to Jesus and saying, everything that I need is found in you. And if I really do believe that and not just say it as some Christian platitude that we say and we sing, but if I really come back to that and believe that and go, Jesus, it may be true that you have absolutely everything that I need. Now, I don't get it. I don't understand that. And I don't know how that translates into actually getting certain needs that I have met. But I do know this, that if I really come to that place and be okay with saying, listen to me, church, be okay with saying, Jesus, I don't believe that you're going to supply all my needs. Can we be honest and say that? Because if we're really honest, we'd have to say that an awful lot. But, in, but if we're honest and say, Jesus, I actually don't believe you're going to supply all my needs, but yet you tell me that I do. So I'm going to start to trust you, and I'm going to start to remind myself, no, he does have everything that I need. I don't get it. I don't fully understand it. And I don't know if I fully believe it yet, but I am going to line up with you Come on, this has got to help you a little bit, right? What I've noticed in the church is that we, what we do is we take things like that. Wonderful statements, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it's just a, a mental ascent. It just sticks up here in the head and it never transfers down to the heart. And if we're being honest, we would say, I can't do all things. If we're going to be really honest, we would say, I can't do all things. You know what? How about we start doing that? How about we start being really honest and saying, I can't. I can't do it. That is not a defeatist victim mentality. I hope you're hearing me. I'm saying if we're not honest right here, then we find ourselves lying to ourselves. And then spirituality, Christian ease and stuff becomes the thing that we run to, but it has absolutely zero application in the soul. We say it because it feels good. We say it because we're supposed to say those things. But until we get really honest and say, you know, Jesus, there are places where I really don't believe you. I really don't. I think when we're, is this hurting a little bit this morning? You can feel a little like pressure in the room here. It's not a victim. It's not checking out. It's not false confession. It's not that. It's being honest. It's being honest. Remember what David said when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet after he had sinned with Bathsheba. He writes Psalm 51, and it would be a good thing for all of us to maybe sit and meditate on that. You desire truth in the inward parts. Be honest. Be really honest. David knew he was not supposed to be there. He knew he was supposed to be out at war. That's why he fell into the adultery. That's why he had Uriah killed, all because he wasn't doing the very thing. But he, he became very honest. You desire truth in the inward parts. Okay, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I want to. I want to trust you. I really do. Everything about who I am wants to trust you, but there's places inside of me I just don't trust you. So what we end up doing is we want somebody else to make decisions for us because it would be so much easier if somebody else made the decision and I didn't have to be honest with myself and I could just hear somebody say, you're supposed to walk this path right here, go walk that, and then I can do it. You know why it's so easy to do that? Because our brains check out. Our ability to think that God has given us, you have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians tells us, that ability to think, that ability to engage with him, we can put that in the background and we can just go do what somebody else has told us to do. The problem with that is it breeds that victim mentality. Look at Ephesians 3. Is everybody still here with me? Ephesians 3. Man, it just feels kind of like dead in here this morning. I'm just being honest. I want to read a large passage of this scripture here. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, says this. 
to the intent. Oh, come on, this is going to be so good. Are you ready? Yeah, just breathe in right now. Just breathe in, Holy Spirit. Yeah, why well, I'm asking you to do that because I can read these words, but it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that gives life. So I'm asking you to breathe in, Holy Spirit. Does that sound weird, breathe in, Holy Spirit? It shouldn't sound weird. Spirit, the very word in Hebrew is ruach. In Greek is pneuma. Both of them mean wind or air. So breathe in, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray you make this stuff come alive because it's not my voice, it's you speaking. Ephesians 3, verse 10. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Come on. By the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have what? Come on, say it. In whom we have what? Boldness. So we're designed to be powerful people. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. strengthened. With might. Everybody say might. might. Through his spirit in where? Oh, so there's something about being powerful on the inside. There's something about Paul praying and saying to the church, I pray this ultimately will land in your hearts that you will recognize that you're designed for power and might. You are designed to make known the manifold wisdom of God to all the demonic realm. Come on, is this good? Come on, that's a good word. that he would grant you according to the riches of glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love, Love. yeah. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Oh, come on, that's good. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Let me give you the Andrew Lamb translation of that. It's to know God to such a degree that you can't even understand it. It passes knowledge. It's the, I do not have the ability to comprehend this. All I know is something's happening deep inside of me and I'm connecting with my creator in such a way that I can't even put to, into words what it's about. Come on, does that sound like fun to you guys? I want to move beyond that. All I know is this, my frontal cortex... My ability to have logic and reason oftentimes gets in the way of me encountering God. Because fear filters up into that logic and reasoning. I'm discovering that in the church. There's a lot of things we call wisdom, which is actually fear. We call it wisdom because it sounds really good, and it's actually fear. It comes from fear. Come on. Who in the room is with me? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could what? Ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Everybody say amen. 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 Come on, that's a good word right there, right? Powerless people have a unique language. 
And if you pay really close attention to yourself when you're speaking and to other people, you'll start to recognize it. It sounds like this. Oh, I can't. I have to. Oh, I'm supposed to go do this. I have a family member that uses that one all the time. Well, you'll ask them to go do something, and they'll be like, well, I'm supposed to. You're supposed to? Really? Somebody's making you do that. <laughs> Somebody's making you do that. You hear what I'm saying? It's subtle, but it matters. Because what that does is it puts all responsibility of choice onto another person. I hope you're tracking with me here. I can't. I, I'm supposed to. I have to. That kind of language puts all responsibility on somebody else instead of clearly saying, yeah, I'm choosing. I know I'm going to work. Instead of saying I have to go to work, no, you don't have to. You can choose to do whatever you want to do. Powerful people have this understanding. They really do. I saw it in a movie the other day. I don't know where I saw it. It was something. It was like somebody was getting blackmailed. And, and in, in the blackmail story that was happening there, the person who was getting blackmailed sell, says, I have no choice. No, you do have a choice. Even in situations like that, you have a choice. Hello, are you still with me? There is no such thing as you and I not having choices. We have choices. It takes a powerful person to say, I'm not going to put that off on somebody else and make them take the blame. I'm going to say, no, I'm choosing to do this right here. This is what I choose to do. Powerless people have the inability to make choices for themselves. They always want somebody else to make the choice for them. Here's a hard one, powerless people. Guys, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not putting this off on somebody else. I'm saying powerless people, and I'm looking inside and going, man, there's a lot of powerlessness inside of me because there's still a lot of fear in there. Powerless people are driven and motivated by anxiety. How many of the choices do we make are driven by anxiety inside, right? Man, that's terrible. I remember being at a friend's house. He's the guy I tell you about that I talk to him, and when I'm on the phone, he's one of those. He's a good friend, and I know I can trust him, but talking to him sometimes can be painful. Remember that story I told you about? I'm sitting there just going off about what's going wrong in my life, and he goes, man, I'm so sorry. Andrew, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm supposed to do something about this? Yeah, you're a powerful person, aren't you, or are you not? Do you want somebody else to fix your life for you? I remember going over to his house one time, and he, he loves to cook, and he was making this wonderful, like, filet mignon. I mean, it was just, he was cooking this fantastic dinner. And he's at this big bar cooking, you know, where his stove, and he's got some stools on the other side, and he's got snacks there, a little cheese and crackers and stuff. And I'm sitting there eating it while he's cooking. And I say to him, man, I feel really bad I'm sitting here while you're cooking. And, he go, and I said, do you need any help? And he goes, no, I want you to stay right there where you are. I said, I feel really bad that I'm not doing anything. He goes, that's an awful feeling, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Uh, what is he doing? He's sitting there, instead of like trying to make me feel better, instead of letting me be in my powerlessness, he's just saying, boy, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it? In other words, what he's saying is, do you, do you feel like you have to perform for me? Do you feel like you have to do something for me? I don't, I'm asking you if you will just sit there and enjoy this. Will you just do that? Man, how many times do we do that with God? We get all caught up in our spiritual gyrations, trying to do so much for the kingdom of God, when all he's saying is, I just want to sit there with you. just want to talk to you. Can you just sit there for a moment? Man, I bet if we could hear him audibly a lot of times, even in our worship service, a lot of times he would be saying, everybody just sit down and shut up. <laughs> Just sit down, shut up, and be quiet for a minute. Stop that spinning in the soul. Stop your mind from whirling and doing all that stuff. Just stop. Just stop. 
can't you just sit there and be with me for a moment? I mean, that was so awkward when he tells me that. No, I, that's, an awkward, that's an awful feeling. I'm like, yeah, it is an awful feeling. What, what he was doing was he was putting it back to me to make the choice on what I wanted to do. Does this make sense? But powerless people, they don't have to, they look, for, they look for others to take away their anxiety. That's what I was looking to do in that situation. I'm looking for him to take away my anxiety. My anxiety is I can't sit here while you do all the work. And I'm looking for him to take away my anxiety. He goes, no, just stay, stay right there. Powerless people are relationship consumers. Mm. Listen, if anybody in the room is sitting here going, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this. It probably means it's more for you <laughs> than them, okay? Just saying, all right? Relationship consumers. That person makes me feel good, so I'll try to be around them so I can get that good feeling. I've noticed this with powerful people. They're fun to be around. They're fun to be around because you want to like suck a little power out of them because that's a relationship consumer. That's like I want to be around someone that's really powerful. I want to be around someone that really is in love with Jesus that really has the joy of the Lord because I want to suck a little of that out of them. What that's saying is I don't want to take responsible for my responsibility for myself. I want you to do that for me. Here's another one. Blame in capital letters. Blame is the name of the game. For powerful people. Problems are attracted to anything and everything except themselves. They're driven by drama. Blame is the name. Right? Of course, it's not any of us in the room, but you know, God, man, if that person would only stop doing this, man, my boss, golly, they're such a jerk. If they would just stop doing this, hmm. Interesting. Now, as I'm getting older in life, I'm starting to recognize it in my own life. If I consistently have the same problems going around in my life the over 50 years, I have to stop for a minute and look at it and go, wait, what's the consistent factor? Oh, it's me. <laughs> I'm the one in every situation. Perhaps it's not somebody else's fault. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, because I'm a pretty good guy, but maybe it has something to do with me. Maybe if I just stop and look a little bit and go, wait a second, how come every relationship I've ever been in, this happens? Hmm. God, people are so weird. Why do people do that? Instead of looking at it like that, go, wait a minute, turn that in for a second, and look, go, this, maybe this is something going on inside of me. I don't know, just a thought. But here's one, another thing that powerless people do, they develop self-protective armor. Now this one I see all the time, guys. This is the mask, this is the armor, this is the thing that we put on in order to keep ourselves protected. We, look, we put it on to look good, but we also put it on to keep people at a distance. Hmm. I want to keep people at a distance. I, don't want to get, I want to get close to you, but I don't want to get that close. You know how I see this happen in a church an awful lot? I've seen this happen a lot in the church as a whole. I'm not just talking about right here. People who say they love Jesus and they want to be in the same room with him, but they don't want to get close enough to touch him. Hmm? Guys are really good at this. Guys are really, really good at this. If I come up to you, Abube, and I say, I love you, man. You know what that is? That's revealing my armor. But if I come up to you and I say, Abube, I love you, then I don't have to wear the armor. You see what I'm saying? You can recognize it. I love you, man. That's the <laughs> armor thing. I want to put that on. Come on, guys, you with me? Yeah. I love you, man. Yeah, say it like a good pat on the back. How about if you just walk up and say, I love you, and take a nice big hug and linger? 
Yes. Yes, it is. Very awkward. Come on, guys, I'm just trying to keep this in the practical realm, okay? Guys, what would it look like if we could do that? What would it look like if we could just say, I love you, and then hug you? And then hold it. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I mean, really. I mean, the, adding the man and the... Get up here a minute. Adding the man and going, yeah, man, right. All right. A little slap on the back kind of thing. Yeah, chest bump. Makes us feel really good. I just think, I don't know, guys, I'm just suggesting a couple of things here. I think that is part of that developed armor that we end up putting on instead of just really, you know, I love you. I care about you. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. Here are some powerless relational dynamics. You guys want to hear some of these? Here's what powerless people do in relation dynamics. And Danny talks about this here. He talks about, really, there's this thing he calls triangulation. It really is people who take on three different, um, three different mindsets, three different attitudes, three different ways of living. It's either the victim, the bad guy, or the rescuer. The victim is the one where everything is always wrong because of what somebody else is doing. That's a victim. It's always somebody else's fault. It's your boss. It's your spouse. It's your wife. It's your... your uh, your siblings, it's somebody close to you, but usually it's somebody relatively close to you that you work with, live with, but it's usually their fault, and you're the victim. I'm the victim. There's that kind of person. I think that one makes sense. But then there's the bad guy. They take on the bad guy thing, and the bad guy is the one who uses intimidation to get what they want. They come into a room, and they look like they're powerful people, but they're not. They're incredibly weak people. So they use intimidation and force to try to get their own needs met. They're filled with fear, they're filled with anxiety, but they don't know how to just be a person, so they have to use intimidation. Then there's this one. This one's always fun, the rescuer. You guys familiar with the rescuer? The rescuer is the one, I want to fix your problem so I can feel better about myself. If I could just make you, if I could fix your problems, and guys, I'm serious, I'm a pastor, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this one. Yeah. It makes me feel so much better if I can make somebody else feel better. This is the thing, you know, I've noticed this. It's strange, just even in the world. Counselors oftentimes go into counseling because they need counseling. <laughs> Pastors oftentimes go into pastoring because they need pastoring. If I live as a rescuer, then I'm looking for somebody to help take care of. It's a codependent kind of living. I need to make that person feel better, and in doing so, I give life to myself. Here's the challenge with that, and I hear this happen. This is language that comes out in the church. They'll say things like, um, well, I want to help in worship because I, I feel so energized when I'm, when I'm doing that, when I'm in worship, and I want to be on the team with the worship, or I want to help in kids because I feel so energized when I do this kind of stuff. Now, that stuff sounds really good on the surface, and you want to pat them on the back and say, good for you. But really, I have to ask the question, what is it that you need to do in order to make yourself feel better? Can you just love? Can you hear what I'm saying? Because that doesn't tell me a whole lot. I hope this is making sense this morning. I want to know who knows how to just love, who knows how to give of themselves and just be that. They're not looking to get something out of it. They're not looking to do something in order to make themselves feel better. And I don't like that, even with kids or with worship or anything, when people do things like that. Because what I feel is, you're living a life in such a way that you want to suck life out of somebody else in order to make you feel better inside. 
Come on, am I stepping on toes this morning? This feels a little awkward. Fear ultimately is the motivator. And, and powerless people, they take on any, any which one of them that's needed. Now let's talk about powerful people, because we all want to be powerful people, right? What does a powerful person look like? I think a lot of it looks like what Galatians 5 talks about when it starts listing the fruit of the Spirit. People who are really walking as powerful people, led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh, right? Understand that transformation doesn't happen by behavior modification. It's about full engagement with what Holy Spirit is doing in their life, even taking a look at the difficult stuff. Then they start to manifest this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? And what's the last one in the fruit of the Spirit? Somebody shout it out. Self-control. self-control. Man, powerful people really know what self-control looks like. They can walk into a room and be, have it totally chaotic, be doing something that they don't want to do, but they don't feel the need to insert themselves or enforce their own will. They can just sit there and be totally confident in themselves. Be totally fine. I don't need to, I don't need to make myself feel better by enforcing myself in this situation. Self-control. Now, this one often steps on people's toes here. Can I suggest to you that God is not a God that is in control? We like to say that. God is in control. No, he's not in control. He has all authority. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. And if we walk in that, then we manifest the fruit of walking in the fullness of the Spirit, and we walk in all authority. He's not in control. We're not robots. He never designed it to be that way. He always has put in front of us life and death. He has put in front of us choice. I've had people get really mad at me and leave. Kitty, is that why you're leaving? I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm just picking on her. She can take it. I'm suggesting God is not in control. He has given us his spirit, deposited inside of us, and when we start to manifest that we're living by that spirit there, we walk in a level of self-control. God's not interested in controlling us. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? Powerful people create and shift atmospheres. I was talking about that earlier. It's the difference between being a thermometer or being a thermostat. It's one thing to be a thermometer. I find a lot of times in the church that we have people that are spiritually aware of what's going on in the spirit in the room, but they have zero ability to change what's happening. That doesn't, t- that doesn't impress me. Oh, man, I, I've got discerning of spirits, and I can tell what's happening in the room, and there's this, that, and the other. Great, what are you going to do about it? Amen. What are you going to do about it? I'm not interested in your ability to see it. I'm interested in your ability to be a powerful person and do something about it. Is this helpful? Come on, we've lived, I'm serious, I've been in this charismatic church thing my entire life. I've seen it over and over again. We think we're so mature and we're so awesome if we can discern what's going on in the spirit. I don't care. I want to know what you're going to do about it. It's almost like it's an identity thing. We put it on and wear it like a badge or a bracelet or a necklace and we say, I have discerning of spirits or I have this or I have that. I have the gift of healing. I have all this stuff. Great, what are you going to do about it? What What about what you carry changes the atmosphere where you go? What about what you have on you changes your workplace? What about what you have changes your home? I mean, come on. Unfortunately, we've made it such a way in the church that people who have that kind of ability, we give them platform, we give them title, we give them authority, we give them all this stuff, but at home, their homes are falling apart. And I just want to suggest that if we are successful in ministry and we fail at home, we are unsuccessful in ministry. What does it mean then? What does it really come down to? I mean, if I got the ability to 
pontificate, if I have the ability to speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm like a gong going off. I'm like a brass cymbal just <laughs> crashing. I, I want to know. I really want to know what this looks like. All I'm saying is I think powerful people are people who know how to not walk in the spirit as being just discerners and thermometers, but they're thermostats and they know how to walk into a place and change the culture, change the dynamic of it. I was so encouraged, like I said, this last week of being there and being able, and somebody telling me without me asking, saying, man, every time you come here, you just make it a more happy place. It's happy. People are filled with joy. I'm like, good. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Good. That's what I want to be. I want to change the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful people, life doesn't just happen to them. They're happening. They're happening people. And I'm not talking about movers and shakers. I'm talking about they just create things. They refuse to be victims. They recognize that things that happen that are, that, are at, that are out of their control, but they will take action and not become victims. Look at Romans chapter four for a minute. If you think I'm just talking here, look at Romans chapter four. How many in the room are still with me? Yes. Great, four of you. Okay, Romans chapter four. Here's Paul. This is such a great doctrinal book, but the entire book of Romans is a doctrinal book. It's, it's, it's so wonderful. We get a lot of our Christian understanding of God and stuff through this book right here. In Romans chapter four, it's all about Abraham and faith, okay? So we can just keep that in mind. It's all about Abraham and faith. Here's Abraham who had no understanding of who God was. We, we do understand this, right? That Abraham, God speaks to Abraham and there is nothing preceding Abraham that will give him any clue as to who God is. So he's really, he doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have the prophets. He doesn't have anything the first one who's really starting to hear God and be obedient to it, God starts to speak to him, and he's even, I don't even know if he understood, I don't know, again, we'll get to heaven, we'll figure all this stuff out, I don't know, we're gonna be known and we'll know everything, and I get all that kind of stuff, but I don't even think Abraham had the ability to comprehend who God really was. It could have been just a voice to him. I, I don't really know. He just had zero ability, but it says of Abraham, and that's why it's in Romans, in full, full of chapter four, it says of him that he believed God and God accounted it to him to, as righteousness. A guy who didn't even know, understand God, didn't know anything about it, he believed God and God accounted it to him, accredited it to him and said he's righteous because of this. And that's old covenant. Man, I wonder if, man, if we could just believe it and we've got this. Unbelievable. But it ultimately says in verse 17, it says, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Come on, this is the partnership God has called us into with him. He's the kind of God that says, at the very beginning, I want light, darkness, separate, I want land, I want water. <laughs> you know, Adam was a gardener, right? Right? Because he put him in charge of it all and said, take care of it. I think he gardened. This is just my own opinion. I think he gardened just like he saw his daddy garden. If he wanted beans, he didn't go over there and hoe it and start planting stuff. He said, I want beans. Boom, there were beans. Because he was only doing what he saw his dad do, right? In other words, church, we've been brought into this, this family, and this is the same daddy we have. You have the ability to call things that don't exist as if they do. Hmm. Powerful people know how to do that. They don't go in and succumb to whatever situation they're in. They create a completely different atmosphere. Com completely different culture. So, 
ask yourself the question, what language am I using? Is it I can't, I'm supposed to, I have to? And then ask yourself the question, what do you want to do about it? What you, is this helping you guys this morning? Yep. I just, I, I'm not doing this just so we'll be better people. That is not the point of this. I, I, don't, I don't care about being that. That's humanistic in nature, just trying to be a better person. I don't care about that. What am I looking for ultimately? If we're 30,000 feet looking down at all of this, what I'm looking for is a group of people that know how to be healthy in their soul so that we can steward this wonderful grace of God. So we can steward it well. So we're not playing these dumb little games of offense. And oh, you hurt my feelings. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm, okay, tell me about that. Because I certainly don't want to be a person that goes around hurting your feelings. Tell me about that. And I'll apologize. I will, you know, we'll work through a reconciliation to get to this point right here. But listen, I, I don't want to be people who, well, let me put it this way. I'm all about being in touch with your feelings. I'm all about that. I'm learning to do that. I'm learning that I have more feelings than just two. I have more feelings. I'm learning that. I'm starting to discover that. But I also know, too, the word says, look out not only for your own needs, but also for the needs of others. So even if my own feelings, if I'm communicating to you how I feel, I need to communicate to you how I feel with the intent of bringing us closer together, not with the intent of telling you how bad you are and I need to stay away from you. Does that make sense? Remember, love is culminated in this one thing, connection connection. Everything about love. God is love. God sends Jesus for the sole purpose of having a bride. Connection. This is what it's all about. I want us to do a declaration this morning. We're going to end here, but I want us to do a declaration, but before we put that up there, let me just say this. We do declarations a lot here, but the word says that anything that is not done in faith is it's sin. Anything that's not done in faith is sin. Okay, so that what we usually do in the church when we hear that passage is we're like, okay, all right, God, I'm going to muster it up. <sighs> faith. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. I can do it. That's not what I'm talking about, guys. Faith, I actually think faith looks a little different. I think I'm beginning to discover that faith looks more like this. I don't have the ability to do this but I know someone who does. Does that make sense? I don't have the ability to do this. I just know somebody who does. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to connect with him, get as close to him as I can. Because the word says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? What's the next verse that says after that? So that you'll ultimately discover, the Andrew Lamb paraphrase, ultimately you're going to discover, you're going to do the math, and you're going to come up with this one thing that is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about coming back to this absolute settled confidence that we don't understand it, I don't get it, but God, I know somehow you make this thing work. You'll make this thing work. So when we do this declaration, I want everybody to go ahead and stand up, right where you are. (laughs) Yes, this is so stupid and simple. This is so ridiculous what you're about to say. This is absolutely nonsensical. I'm not talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, guys. I hope you're hearing me here. I'm not talking about positive confession that is just humanistic reasoning, that has man-centric stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this faith that says, I'm saying this right here. 
but I'm recognizing that it's not just me trying to make myself do this. I, I'm reading it through the lens of the one who can do all things. I'm reading it through that. I'm seeing it as the person intrinsically connected to my soul and inside of me. How many have Jesus inside of you? Right? Okay, that's not just something. It's not just you have Jesus inside of you. Don't, don't ever forget that you're inside of him. Right? As he is, so are we in this world, right? John says, as he is, so are we in this world. I don't get that either. I don't understand that. How many, how many right now are seated with him in heavenly places? Come on, that's where you are. That's the reality of who you are. Ephesians 2, 6 says that. I didn't make it up. That you are seated with him in heavenly places. And as he is, so are you in this world. In other words, you're sitting from a place of authority and dominion. You're sitting with daddy. You're so connected to him. I don't get this, man. We are someday, the church will wake up. Holy Spirit, help us with this. Guys, you can't get any closer to God. Saying nice little prayers of God, I just want to go closer to you. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I get it. But you really can't get any closer than your Siamese twin. You're so connected to him. So it's a matter of changing our perspective and saying, okay, I don't know, but I do know this. Jesus, everything about you works. Everything about you works and you are lacking in absolutely nothing. And since I'm absolutely connected to you and you're connected to me, then I can make declarations like this. Is this helping you to say it? So let's do it, but I want you to say it loud, okay? Here we go. I am going to have a good day because I am a powerful person. I have a vision and a mission for my life and I use the events of each day, whether positive or negative, to direct myself towards them. Come on, does that help you? Come on, this is good, isn't it? I just, I want to be, everybody stay standing here. I just want to be clear. This is not about trying to whip it up. That is not the point here. I, I tell myself quite often, because I don't know about how you guys, when you get up in the morning and you go into the bathroom, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, dear God, what happened last night? When you look in the mirror, do you find yourself seeing Jesus when you look at yourself? I mean, this is important because it said, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So if I'm aware of myself more than him, then I won't see the glory of the Lord. But we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed from glory to glory. I'm hoping this is helping, guys. This is not a humanistic, suck it up, try to make yourself better, positive, power of positive thinking kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is be able to look at it and say, I'm a powerful person because I have the creator of the universe living inside of me. That's what I have. So I choose to make declarations like this, like I'm going to have a good day. Not because I'm going to just like keep my willpower going. It's because I know that who I have in me is greater who, who is in me than he is in the world. All right, hold your hands out here. We're just going to pray for you. All right. Ministry teams, go ahead and make your way up here. Prayer teams, we do this. We're going to close in a minute, but we like to have people up here so you can just come connect with somebody and let them pray for you. All right, hold your hands out here. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we know this to be true about you, that Jesus sent you into this earth to testify of him, to guide us into all truth, to remind us of the things that you've spoken, and to even show us things to come. So I don't get it, but I know this. I want you. I want you. I know also that you're a God of experience. And so, Lord, I'm praying for each and every one of us that we would so take off the armor, 
Stop trying to be powerful people in our own right, but be powerful in you to be able to yield enough to say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me where I'm living in fear. Show me where I'm living in fear. Show me where I'm talking like a fearful person. Reveal to me where places where I don't believe you, but I'm believing, Lord God, that as you encounter me, that my life changes. When I begin to look in the mirror and see you reflected, that I'm changed, I'm transformed from glory to glory. Lord, I want that for all of us. Anybody else want that? Yes, Lord. You are the center of everything. You're the cause. You're the effect. You're the alpha. You're the omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You are the author. You're the perfecter. Everything comes back to you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's not about a people being anything outside of you. It is all about you. Come on, you've got to agree with me on that, right? It is all about you, Jesus. In you, we exist. In you, we live and move and we have our being. In you. We have life. So Lord, I'm praying that for all of us, that we would become a people that are so healthy emotionally that we know how to love in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Bless you all, bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.